I am Dr. Barbara Kiel, and some clients of mine prefer to call me Dr. Bibi. And to be honest, I quite like it. Welcome to my podcast. To be honest, a podcast that is born out of mental health efficacy. I believe in the power of intention, and my intention for this podcast is to educate whoever wishes to listen, and to make a paradigm shift in how we perceive mental illness. I also believe mental health education is key, and that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is to invest. In your own mental health. Let's face it, we all need to learn how our minds work, and have the skills to deal with life's ups and downs. And more importantly, let us strengthen our ability to better connect with and support each other. Strong, empathetic. Nurturing and caring relationships have the power to prevent everyday challenges from becoming more concerning issues like mental illness. The responsibility to renew focus on your own mental well-being begins now. In this episode, I am going to talk about self-concept and the importance of it. So before we start, let's set the energy of this episode together. You may wish to put your hand on your heart and close your eyes, unless you're driving or operating heavy machinery. So take a deep breath in, and as you exhale, let your thoughts go. Let your worries go. Let your past go. Now take a moment to plug into the greater energy of the universe, and feel your heart, and imagine us all connected in a unified field of divine white light, and know that you are safe. All is well, and so it is. So take another deep breath in, and exhale out loud with a sigh. And when you are ready, slowly open your eyes. Are you someone that is constantly worried about how other people perceive you? If you feel overwhelmed just by this thought, well, this episode is for you. What if I tell you that instead of worrying about how other people see you, have you ever wondered how you view yourself? Yes, and I mean really, really. Notice what you are noticing about yourself. Have you ever been asked, "Who are you?" I am sure most of us are familiar with this question and may have asked this one on more than one occasion. 
A question like this can hold deep meaning that you can get different answers from asking this question to the same person over and over again. So, what makes this question so profound? I think because this question directly touches on how we perceive ourselves, and it's so personal. Not to mention, the answer can change over time due to our own discovery and the world around us, and possibly because of our own growth. And this question not only seeks an answer from our self-awareness, but also our own self-concept. The concept of self. I am sure many of you out there would say that you have a pretty good perception of yourselves. However, I doubt if a lot of you are aware of how your understanding of yourselves affects everything in your lives. That's why I wanted to do this episode and explain the idea of self-concept in some details, and hopefully that will help you to have a deeper understanding of yourself. So, without further ado, the term self-concept generally means our own perception of who we are as a person. So that means it includes how you perceive your identity, your own behavior, skills, knowledge, and other unique characteristics that you call you. So let's say if I was asked of this question, "Who are you, Doctor Bibi?" I might say I am a clinical psychologist, an Australian registered clinical counselor who is also running my own private practice, and I'm based in Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. And I love what I do. So you see, my audience, the idea itself is easy to grasp, isn't it? How it impacts our lives can sometimes go beyond our understanding, and it is because our self-concept heavily influences our thoughts, emotions, and actions in our daily life. And by allowing yourself to define who you think you are, you understand your place in the world. That means where do I belong? Who is my tribe? Who are my people? So, in order to better understand this thought, let me give you a few examples of self-concept and how this thought process can affect our interactions with the world. Let's say when a person identifies himself as a rebellious spirit, for example, he can consciously or unconsciously resist other people's expectations, opinions, and orders. So at the same time, they want to find a part of the society where they belong, which is most likely a group of people with the same mindset. In other words, self-concept acts as a filter on how we interact with our surroundings and also how we let our surroundings affect us based on the identity that we have recognized in ourselves. So far, I have only explained self-concept at its face value. In order to broaden your understanding of this further, I believe we have to view this from a scientific perspective, and I am going to choose the humanistic approach in this episode.
Psychologist Carl Rogers back in 1959 proposed a humanistic approach for the idea of self-concept. So, according to him, there are three components that make up our self-concept. First, he calls it self-esteem or self-worth. Second component is our self-image, and the third is. The ideal self, according to Carl Rogers, self-esteem refers to how much do you value yourself or what you feel you are worth. Therefore, he coins it self-esteem or self-worth. Now, this is based on the extent of how much we like what we see in ourselves and accept how we are. Therefore, self-esteem always involves some degree of appraisal. Of ourselves and can have both a positive or negative impact on our self-concept. So it's obvious if you appraise yourself in high regard, then your self-esteem would be higher. And the opposite would be if you have low appraisal of yourself, then your self-esteem will definitely be lower. The second component, self-image. Self-image is simply how you see yourself. A person's self-image is the combination of multiple attributes, such as physical qualities. That means whether you find yourself attractive or personality traits. Social roles and feedback from others, etc., etc. However, this does not necessarily coincide with reality. Some people may have exaggerated images of themselves in their heads or believe in a personal flaw that does not exist. A good example would be if someone is suffering from anorexia. When they look into the mirror, they see an obese person, and yet it is the opposite. Because they have a distorted self-image. The third and last component of Carl Rogers' self-concept: the ideal self. Now, this is the idea of what kind of person you would like to be. A person's goal for their ideal selves are always changing, regardless if it is achieved or not. So, the next logical question is to ask. How exactly do these three components affect one another, and how do they collectively affect our self-concept? Now, when a person's ideal self and their experienced self-image are consistent and have a high degree of similarity, meaning congruence is present, that means that they are matching, and the higher your congruence is. The higher your self-esteem becomes, so this leads to you having a positive self-concept and makes it possible for you to reach self-actualization. To put it simply, that means when your self-image matches or as close a match as your ideal self, then that would lead you to having a positive self-concept. Unfortunately and realistically speaking, our self-image is not always aligned with how we want to be, meaning our ideal self. 
Let's say maybe we want to be a patient person, and yet to find out that we are not—that is perfectly normal because majority of us tend to distort reality to a certain extent. Therefore, all people can experience some degree of incongruence with their self-concept when that happens, and that should be expected. And It's normal. However, on the other hand, if our experience in reality only has little or nearly no match at all to our ideal self, then a state of incongruence exists. And when we are in this state, we can find our experience from reality unsatisfactory, which in turn distorts our self-image. So, as we prefer to see ourselves close to our visualized self-image, incongruence will not make us feel comfortable. As a matter of fact, it's the opposite. We will feel very uncomfortable. We may feel hurt. We may feel angry. We may feel sad, or even feel threatened. For instance, if our ideal self is that we are pretty smart, who doesn't want to be smart, right? But when we got our exam results, we realized that we are not as smart as we thought we were, based on the incident of the exam result. Of course, we will feel disappointed or sad because. The match between our self-image and our ideal self is not in alignment, so incongruence exists, and we won't feel comfortable. And that incongruence may cause us to be defensive, so to use our defense mechanisms such as in denial, anger. Let's say your friend was happy about. Their exam results, and they ask you, "Hey, how did you do?" And so you snapped at them and say, "None of your business." Carl Rogers also believed that a person's experience during early childhood plays a significant role in the development of congruence and incongruence during the later stages of life. So he suggested that incongruence is developed when parents place a condition on their affection for their children, making their affection comparable to a reward system. This is called con. Additional positive regard. So children who grew up with this kind of treatment learn at an early age that they will not be loved for who they are, but only when they behave in a way that's acceptable for their parents or other people. On the other hand, children who have experienced unconditional positive regard or love, unconditional love from their parents, easily fostered congruence. Now that makes a lot of sense. As they feel loved regardless of who they are, they often do not feel the need to change themselves to gain the acceptance of their parents. So they also do not think that anything positive, such as affection, condition, or material things, will be taken away from them if they make any mistakes. Now that type of environment would be a blessing. For a child to grow up in, because the children will feel safe and accepted. So, at this time, my audience, let me say this: 
there are other theories out there that can offer you to expound what self-concept is, because I only used Carl Rogers. Theory. Nevertheless, regardless of whichever theory is more acceptable to you, the fact of the matter is, it doesn't change the fact that how you view yourself directly affects you and the others around you. So, when you have a healthy, heightened self-concept, it impacts your knowledge about yourself. And at the same time, it helps you become more aware of both your strengths and flaws. That's when you learn to accept yourself. This deep understanding and acceptance of yourself allows you to be true to yourself and express yourself wholeheartedly to others. And you will be less defensive when you interact with other people, and it will be so much more pleasant for them to have that interaction with you. And most importantly, it grants you a realistic perspective on who you currently are and where you are heading, allowing you to self-actualize and realize your full potential. Believe me when I say the benefits of having a positive concept of yourself are not just limited to your psychological and social aspects. It can produce a holistic effect on your well-being. Doing some reality checks from time to time and having a down-to-earth mentality can do your self-esteem a favor. So, my audience. Have yourself an honest self-examination by asking this question: How close is my self-image to my ideal self? Thank you for listening, and until next week, stay safe, learn heaps, and find the courage to be honest. Bye for now. You can find this podcast, to be honest, on Apple Podcast, Spotify, and my website, www.drbarbarakiao.com. D R B A R B A R A K I A O. dot com.
people.